Welcome to Directions in Rashi, a podcast that will help you understand individual comments from Rashi throughout the Chumash, and that will also introduce you to some of the general principles which I feel uh, directed Rashi in his creation of his commentary, and that will help us to understand his commentary better all around. Welcome. Harshas Vizais of Racha, as we know, contains for the most part the blessings that Moshe Rabbeinu blessed each of the Shvatim, each of the 12 Shvatim. I'd like to discuss the blessing that is given to one of the Shvatim about whom we know relatively little, and that is the Shevet of God. Well, the God Amar. To God, or actually Rashi in another place says it means about God. Moshe Rabbeinu said, Baruch Marchiv God. Blessed is the one who will expand the borders of God. Kelavi Shachain, he will dwell in his land with like a lioness, with the strength of a lioness, the Taraf Zroya Afkodkoid, and he will be able to tear off the arms and even the skulls of his enemies. Um, Rashi says some very interesting and important things about this Pasuk. We're going to focus on the second half of the bracha of God. Vayar Reshis Loi. We'll translate here literally, and then we'll come to the Rashi. Vayar Reshis Loi. He, meaning God, saw a beginning for himself. Kisham Chelkas Mechokek Safun. Because there, the portion of the Mechokek, of the lawgiver, is hidden. And he came at the heads of the people. He did the righteousness of Hashem. And he did justice, or he did that which was just with Yisrael. Let's see Rashi. So Rashi understands that this is referring to God. God saw something. He saw, meaning he saw fit to take his portion of Eretz Yisrael, as each Shevet got a portion, but God saw fit to take his portion in the land of Sichon Vaik. The main part of Eretz Yisrael is to the west of the Jordan River. But before the Bnei Yisrael crossed the Jordan River, they fought wars just to the east of the Jordan River in the lands of the kings Sichon and Og, as it is clearly written in Sefer Bemidbar. And they took over those lands. And there were uh, two Shvatim, um, uh, Ruvain and God, who decided that they would like to stay there. So here we're talking about God. That God decided, he saw fit, to take his portion in the land of Sichon Vaik, Shehi Reshis Kibush which is the beginning of the conquest of the land of Israel. That's why it's called Reshis. Ki Yada, because he knew, Asher Shom Benach that there in his inheritance, if he would take his inheritance in that land, Chelkas Steik Furas there is the portion of land that has the field where is the burial place of the Mechokek, of the lawgiver, Humoshe? In other words, the Shevet God somehow knew 
that Moshe Rabbeinu eventually would be buried in that land of uh, Eretz Mayav, of, uh, of, um, of, not of Eretz Mayav, of, of Sichon and Oig, somewhere in that area. And therefore they decided that that's where they would like their portion to be. So Sham Chalkas Mechokeik Safun, because the portion of the lawgiver Moshe, uh, they found out that that's where it's going to be. So therefore they chose to have their inheritance in that place. Now, the biggest question that, uh, that needs to be asked about this, this Pasek or this Rashi is that the story of God taking his inheritance in the Aver Hayarden on the east bank of the Jordan River in the land of Eretz Sichem Ba'oig is very uh, clearly and uh, is spelled out in, in great detail in Parshas Matais. And there, there is no mention of this factor that, that, that the children of God, that the Shevet God wanted that particular land because they knew that's where Moshe Rabbeinu was going to be buried. What it says over there, Bekitzer, uh, in summary, is that the Shevet, the two Shvatim of Rubain and God had a lot of cattle, had a lot of cows and bulls and sheep, and, and they saw that the land of Sichon Ba'ig that had just been conquered was a very good land for grazing cattle and sheep. And therefore, they requested that they be allowed to take that land as their inheritance. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't like the idea at first. He thought that if they would stay there on the, to the east of the Jordan, that would discourage the other Shvatim from going across the, the, the Jordan River and fighting for their portions. Eventually, a deal was made that the Bnei Gad and the Bnei Ruvain would go across the Jordan with everyone else and would help them fight. And then they, they would be allowed to come back across the, the Yarden, across the Jordan, and take their inheritance in the land of Sichon Ba'oik. Nowhere there is a mention that the motivation of Shevet God was that they wanted to live in the same uh, general area where Moshe Rabbeinu would ultimately be buried. I saw one commentator who says that uh, it wasn't mentioned in Parshish Matais because in Parshish Matais, Shevet God was talking directly to Moshe Rabbeinu. It wouldn't have been uh, courteous. It wouldn't have been appropriate to, to say to Moshe Rabbeinu, you know, we want to live here because this is where you're going to live when you drop dead. That wouldn't, uh, that wouldn't be very polite. So therefore it wasn't mentioned. Okay, perhaps. Let's put this question up on the shelf, one of the shelves behind me. Let's put it aside for the moment. Let's learn a little bit more about this Pasuk in this Rashi. I will mention before I start, I could not find very much written about this Rashi. Looking through the various super commentators, uh, they're relatively quiet about this whole Rashi. Probably the, the one uh, super commentary that, that deals with it in, in, a, in a, some amount of detail is a relatively uh, lesser known super commentary called Imre Shefer. Imre Shefer was written by a very great author. His name was uh, Rabbi Nassim Shapiro. He lived from 1585 to 1633. He is uh, better known as the author of a famous sefer called Megala Amukais, which is a very uh, deeply Kabbalistic uh, commentary on a small part of Chumash. He was also a great authority in Halacha, and he wrote a very lengthy uh, super commentary 
on Rashi. And uh, besides the pshat, besides the uh, simple straightforward explanations, he often also goes into, into remez, into various hints. And here he begins with some very interesting hints. I wouldn't call them shots, but they're very interesting. He begins with a question that, how did Rashi see this whole story from this Pusik? I mean, the simple answer is, that's how Rashi understood what it means. The Pusik says that God saw a beginning because there the portion of the lawgiver was hidden. So what does that mean? So Rashi says it means he saw fit to take a portion in the beginning of the inheritance of B'nai Yisrael, because who was the lawgiver? Because the lawgiver, Moshe Rabbeinu, was buried there. But the, the Imre Shefer questions, how did Rashi really see this in the Pasuk? And he gives two very interesting answers. First of all, he says, if you go back to Sefer Bracious, to the narrative where God, Ben Yaakov, is born, so uh, the story was that uh, Leah had given birth already to four children, and then she was not giving birth anymore. And so she took her maidservant, Zilpah, and she gave him to Yaakov. And with, uh, with Zilpah, Yaakov fathered this child. And for time of Leah, so when the child would, was born, Leah said, Bo God, God has come. Uh, the simple meaning of that. Um, we'll talk more a little bit later. But the Imre Shefer, quoting another Sefer, I believe, called Imre Noyam, I'm not sure what, what that Sefer is, but he says that the word God in Gematria is seven. Gimel is three, Dalit is four. And what Leah was saying here, what Leah was hinting to here, is that this child will ultimately uh, inherit a portion in the same place where Mr. Number Seven will be buried, Rabbi Number Seven. Who's Rabbi Number Seven? Moshe Rabbeinu, who was born on the seventh day of Adar and who passed away on the seventh day of Adar. So this is a hint to, to Rashi's whole, uh, whole approach here that God inherited in the place where Moshe Rabbeinu was buried. Another explanation offered by, uh, also by the Sefer Imre Noyam, who was quoted by the, by the Imre Shefer, is that if you look at the two psukim that constitute the bracha to God, you will find in them every single letter of the Aleph base. We don't have time to do it. Now you can do it on your own, but you will find every single one of the letters of the Aleph base. That's a remez to Moshe Rabbeinu, who brought down for us the Torah, which consists of various combinations of the Aleph base. So another hint that there's some connection between God and Moshe Rabbeinu. Okay, that's Baderach HaRemes. But then the Imre Shefer goes on to ask another very important question. And that is, how did God merit to have the burial grounds of Moshe Rabbeinu in his portion. What, that seems like a very wonderful thing to, to, to be, uh, so to speak, in the eternal neighbor of Moshe Rabbeinu. What did God do to, to deserve this? So he says, you have to go back again to Parshas Vayetze, where we have the, the narrative of the birth 
for the various Shvatim. Now, God was the firstborn of Zilpah. Zilpah was the maidservant of Leah, and Leah allowed her to, uh, to marry Yaakov, and they had a, the firstborn child was God. Now, Rachel also had a maidservant named Bilhah, and when Rachel was having trouble conceiving, so she gave her maidservant to Yaakov, and who was the first child that Yaakov had with Bilhah? It was Dun, the Shevet Dun. Now, the Imre Shefer says that when you go to Parshas Nosoi, Parshas Nosoi, so there, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, at the, uh, at the behest, upon the instructions of the Kaddish Baruch Hu, Moshe Rabbeinu established the four Machanais. The 12 tribes were divided into four camps, which were placed around the Mishkan. Each camp consisted of three tribes, and there was a leader. There was a Reish Degel of each tribe. One tribe was the, the leader of that machina, and then there were two uh, secondary uh, tribes. Now we find that Don became a Rosh Degel. The fourth Degel was Degel Machina Don. It was, it was the, the flag of the camp of Don. However, we don't find that God, that there was a Machina God, God was not the, the head of a, of a flag, of a machina, of a whole camp. Even though um, God was the firstborn of Zilpah, who was one of the maidservants, and in, in that respect, he should be at least equal to, to his brother Dun, who was the firstborn of the other maidservant of Bilhah. But we don't find that. We find that Moshe Rabbeinu made, gave Dun the honor of being a Reish Degel, and he did not give that honor to Shevet God. However, says the Imri Shefer, that Shevet God did not complain to Moshe Rabbeinu about this. They, they could have, they would have had some, uh, some grounds uh, for a possible complaint, but they did not hold that against Moshe Rabbeinu. And therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu rewarded them by, uh, or, or Kodesh Baruch rewarded them, I'm not sure exactly who's in, <laughs> who's in charge here, obviously, ultimately, HaKadosh Baruch who's in charge, but therefore, Shevet God was rewarded that the burial of Moshe should be in their chalak, in their portion. Now, this is very interesting, but, and I, and I hesitate to, to disagree with uh, someone like uh, Rabbi Nassim Shapira, Zechrenu Lebracha, but the Mida Keneged Mida here, the, the measure for measure, it's a little, little hard to understand, not, not so clear, because God didn't make a fuss about the fact that he was not made a Rosh Degel, and therefore Moshe Rabbeinu was buried in his portion of land. But what, I don't know exactly what one exactly has to do with the other, except for the fact that the person he would have complained to would have been Moshe Rabbeinu. All right. Besides that, if you look back if we look back at the Rashi that we're discussing, it sounds like it sounds like that 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 God, the Shevet God, was was given this honor because he wanted it, not because of any specific good deed. Rashi says, He saw fit; he wanted to have a chelik to take his portion of inheritance in the land of Sichanu. Because 
because he knew that that's where Moshe Rabbeinu would be buried. There's no mention here of, of why did he deserve it? What did he do to deserve it? It sounds like that that's the whole story. He wanted it, he saw fit to have it, and therefore he got it. And we still need to eventually come back to our question that we started with. Why isn't all of this mentioned in Parshas Matas? We're still left with that, that, that gnawing question. In my humble opinion, I think we can answer as follows. Shevet God felt a special connection to Moshe Rabbeinu that other Shvatim did not have. As Rashi says, Ro'or, he saw fit, he, he wanted to be close to Moshe Rabbeinu. He had a special affinity for Moshe Rabbeinu as a, as a tribe. Where does this come from? Let's go back again to the Pasuk where God is born. But Taimir Leia, God. Leia says, God has come. Batikra Eshemo God. And so she called his name God. Obviously, this word God means something. It's not merely a name. She said, God has come, and therefore she called his name God. So the first word, God, must have some meaning. So Rashi says, one meaning is Boa Mazal The word God is some sort of a mazel. Exactly what a mazel means, I'm not 100% sure. But let's go to Rashi's second shot. God, Ben Yaakov, was born already circumcised. Now, there's one other person that we know about who was born circumcised. The Gemara in Mesech the Saita talks about the Pasek, which tells us the birth of Moshe Rabbeinu. And the Pasek in Sefer Shemai says, Batera Oso Kitovu, that Moshe Rabbeinu's mother saw that he was good. So what does it mean he was good? So there are a few different explanations here. One says his name was Tevye. Moshe, Moshe was a name given by the daughter of Parai. But really his name was Tevye. And Rabbi Nechemia says he was Hogan the Nevius. He was fit to be a great Navi. But others say he was born already circumcised. The Maharsha the in the Chidushi Agodas, uh, really, really the, the prime uh, commentator on the Agadic portions of, of the Gemara, the Maharsha explains that before we even get to the Maharsha, in general, commentators explain that to say about a person that the person was Noilad Mohol. Is uh, it's not just some uh, biological uh, freak, not some biological anatomical peculiarity. It's something very meaningful. As the Marshaw says here, the orla, the, the part that is cut off in the brismila, that is some sort of an attachment of the yetsahara. Shinikra orel. The yetsahara itself is called orel. Gamra, and it's called Ra. Uvehefech, and when you have the opposite, Vahasaras Orla, when the Orla is removed, Nikra Taiv. Then the person is called Taiv. If a person is born Mohol, that's, that's extra good. The person is automatically good. The person was born good. The person was born to, apparently, to some extent, uh, without a Yetzer or a Ra, 
not or not or a yetsahara of less than usual strength, perhaps. The Maharal, who also wrote Chidushi uh, Agodais, he explains it in a very uh, characteristic fashion. On the one hand, it's a little above my head, but on the other hand, it's well worth uh, saying over a little bit. He explains that the number seven represents the, the creation. It represents nature because the, everything was created in seven days. The number Shmaine represents Al-Hateba. That re represents things that are beyond the natural creation. And of course, Brismila is supposed to take place on the eighth day of the baby's life. So when we say that Moshe Rabbeinu was Noilad Mohu, that means he had a connection to that which is above nature. And God ben Yaakov, as little as we know about him, but he was not just, uh, just your regular average fellow. He was also a person who was born Mohol, and as such, he had some sort of a special connection to very high things, to things that are higher than the physical creation. And I think this is why the Shevet God perhaps felt a special affinity to Moshe Rabbeinu. And as Rashi says, he saw fit to take a portion in Eretz where Moshe Rabbeinu would ultimately be buried. It could be that when Rashi says it's not even a conscious decision. I don't know when 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 God, uh, when they, along with everyone else, saw that Klai Yisrael had taken control of the land of Sichon Va'oik, and they went to Moshe Rabbeinu and they said, we would like this land. I don't even know if consciously they were thinking, let's ask for this land because Moshe Rabbeinu is going to be buried there. I would tend to think they didn't say it. They didn't even know it. They certainly didn't know it consciously to say it, to ask for it. They asked for the land for the same reason that B'nai Reuben asked for it, because it was a good land to raise their cows and sheep. But ro'ah, like the Gemara sometimes says, uh, sometimes a person doesn't see something with his eyes, but he sees it with his mazel. Somehow his, his spirit sees it. Perhaps what Rashi means is that B'nai God saw fit, not consciously, but they did see fit. They did have this affinity for Moshe Rabbeinu. And therefore, they... They wanted this land, and it was given to them because they are the appropriate shevet to be buried next to Moshe Rabbeinu. Just as Moshe Rabbeinu was a person who, by, by his nature, by birth, had a connection to that which is al-hateva, to that which is beyond the creation, so too shevet God had this connection, and they are the appropriate shevet to be the eternal neighbors of Moshe Rabbeinu.